Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hello there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. As always, I want to thank you so much for joining me for another week of travel news, travel tips, and travel chats. 2019 was the year of return, a campaign for Ghana, which commemorated the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first recorded enslaved African in Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. The landmark campaign also celebrated the resilience of the African over the past 400 years, and they welcomed all people of African origin to return to Africa, especially Ghana. Well, this is 2021, two years after the year of return. So we're looking at Ghana and its new campaign of Beyond the Return. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, let's get into a little travel news. Nearly 600 United Airlines employees are losing their jobs after refusing to get vaccinated. This is according to the company's vaccination rate and report. Now, more than 99% of United Airlines U.S.-based employees got the COVID-19 vaccine that was required by the company's mandate. However, 593 refused to comply and will lose their jobs. United CEO Scott Kirby and President Bret Hart said in a memo to employees, our rationale for requiring the vaccine for all United's U.S.-based employees was simple, to keep our people safe. And the truth is this, everyone is safer when everyone is vaccinated and vaccine requirements work. Less than 3% of their 67,000 U.S. employees requested religious or medical exemptions. Earlier this month, United said employees granted exemptions would be placed on temporary leave, while those whose requests were denied would have five weeks to get the shots or face termination. That deadline was pushed back after six employees filed a lawsuit against the airline, alleging it failed to provide reasonable accommodations for employees seeking religious and medical exemptions. The lawsuit, which is seeking a class action status, was filed in federal court in the Northern District of Texas last week. United said it would aim to resolve requests for accommodations by October 15. United previously said employees in customer-facing roles who requested exemptions would be placed on leave until the pandemic meaningfully recedes. Those in roles requiring fewer interactions could return once United developed testing and safety protocols. Employees with religious exemptions were told they would be on unpaid leave. Those with medical exemptions would be put on medical leave, which can include some form of compensation. United is moving ahead with terminating the 593 employees who did not get vaccinated or request an accommodation, though that number could shrink if they change their mind about the vaccine, according to United. The company official said they did not expect their departures to affect operations. 
Renewing your TSA pre-check will now cost you less. The Transportation Security Administration is lowering the online renewal fee for pre-check from $85 to $70, a $15 savings. The price drop has already gone into effect on October 1st. The renewal fee for TSA pre-check in person and the initial enrollment fee will remain at $85. The TSA said over 95% of renewals are already done online. If you're still considering TSA PreCheck, it also allows vetted travelers to receive streamlined security screening at more than 200 airports across the United States. And with TSA PreCheck, travelers don't have to remove their shoes, belts, light jackets, take out laptops, and liquids from their carry-on bags. And best of all, TSA PreCheck has shorter wait times for airport security. More than 80 airlines participate in the program. You can apply for TSA PreCheck by applying online and visiting an enrollment center for fingerprinting and a background check. First-time applicants pay an $85 enrollment fee that covers their first five years in the program. And remember, several credit cards cover the enrollment fee for cardholders, so don't forget to check with yours. JetBlue has launched service from New York to London, now serving both London's Gatwick Airport and London's Heathrow Airport. The Gatwick launch comes under very different circumstances to the Heathrow inaugural, which JetBlue hopes will lead to strong demand for both routes. The UK has been open without quarantine to vaccinated American travelers for nearly two months now, and the United States has announced plans to open to vaccinated visitors in November. JetBlue plans to operate the London service using its Airbus A321LR fleet equipped with the airline's mint suites and studios with a larger business class cabin. The carrier also plans to launch service from Boston to both London airports next year. United Airlines has integrated vaccine verification into its mobile application. This development will benefit travelers whose itinerary requires proof of vaccination and eliminates some of that paperwork and checks needed at the airport. United will integrate the information through Apple's health app for iPhone users. Travelers will now be able to securely upload COVID-19 vaccination records on their iPhones, avoiding some of those additional paperwork requirements and the required time to check in at the airport. To take part in this, customers need to have an iPhone and verifiable COVID-19 vaccination records stored in the Apple Health app. Those records can now be uploaded to United's Travel Ready Center. The records through the Apple Health app use the Smart Health Cards format, which can be reviewed instantly on the United platform without any further reviews. The Apple Health app on iOS 15 allows passengers to store verifiable versions of their COVID-19 test results and immunization records as well. Apple also recently announced an upcoming software update where users can add and present verifiable COVID-19 vaccination information as a vaccination card in Apple Wallet. Using the Travel Ready Center on United's iOS app, customers can see what their destination requires. 
If proof of vaccination is required, they can select the option to upload vaccine documentation. Passengers then click upload and select the share your smart health card option, which will share the details once passengers click confirm through the Apple Health app. The vaccination record will upload to United's system and be stored until they complete their travels. After allowing Apple to share the data with United, the airline's system will read the vaccine type, vaccine dates, name, and date of birth on the shared record. Once United verifies the record is authentic, it will compare the vaccine type and dates against government records. Once evaluated, the data is then discarded. This data is not stored for long term. Passengers should be aware that there may be a spot check at airports. So it's always necessary to pack proof of your vaccination with you. While every country does have its own rules and regulations, all markets where United is currently collecting vaccine records through the Travel Ready Center will have the smart health cards upload as an option. Well, Marriott is bringing back breakfast complimentary Pre-pandemic, Marriott at many of its brands had a free breakfast. And that went away with the pandemic. And we thought maybe it wasn't coming back, but it is. The hotel chain recently announced that hot breakfasts are returning to four of its brands. In addition to the familiar favorites like fruit and bagels, Marriott has added some new options like tomato, kale, and feta egg white frittata yogurt with granola and compote, sausage, egg, and cheese on a whole wheat bagel, spinach and cheese, crustless quiche, jalapeno cheddar baked souffle, and yogurt, oatmeal, and cereal. The hotels that will be offering the complimentary breakfast are Residence Inn by Marriott, Spring Hill Suites by Marriott, Fairfield by Marriott, and Town Place Suites by Marriott. The program will begin at select properties throughout October and by winter, hot breakfast will have returned to 3,000 Marriott locations across the country. Did you ever see the movie Judas and the Black Messiah? Did you know about the Fred Hampton story before that? And I should also mention the Black Panther Party story as well. Well, that film, which dramatized the illegal FBI investigation of the Black Panther Party, culminating in the police raid that killed Fred Hampton, who was chairman of the Illinois chapter, has sparked some interest and has aided the Hampton family in their battle to protect his legacy by trying to transform his childhood home into a headquarters that will memorialize and continue the work of the visionary leader. It will be called the Hampton House, and it would archive the true story and history of the Black Panthers through a museum and political education program. Hampton's son and leader of the Black Panther Party Cubs, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. is quoted. Visitors will be able to visit the Hampton House to learn the history of the Black Panther Party and the 10-point platform. The house will also be a headquarters for resources and programs that follow the model of the survival programs started by the Black Panthers in the 60s to help black people neglected by the government meet their basic needs. The house has started a community garden to provide food for neighbors in the spirit of the Black Panther Party's free breakfast program. The house will also have a recording studio to run music programs, a GoFundMe for Save Hampton House, 
already has surpassed the $350,000 goal to help bring the house back up to code and to pay to convert it into a community resource center. The home at 804 South 17th Avenue in Maywood, Illinois, has been in foreclosure before being purchased by Hampton's relatives, who are also seeking landmark status for the property to protect it from demolition. Well, the rideshare app Uber is introducing new features aimed at making travel easier. Uber has added new features in hopes of eliminating some of the hassles related to waiting for your ride, especially at airports. Among the new features introduced by the Rideshare app are Uber Reserve at airports, Ready When You Are, and Curbside Pickup. Uber Reserve allows you to book a ride ahead of time, up to 30 days before your travel date. It also includes flight tracking up to 60 minutes of complimentary wait time and curbside pickup when you're ready. With Uber's new Ready When You Are feature, users can request a ride in 20 minutes, 10 minutes, or as soon as possible. And that feature is only available in about six airports in the United States and Canada currently. However, Uber plans to expand the offering into more flight hubs in early 2022. But for now, passengers at Nashville Airport, New Orleans, Portland, Philadelphia, Seattle, and Toronto airports can enjoy the feature, though they'll all have to have an Android device. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute and a conversation with Mawuli Zebu on Ghana beyond the year of return. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you visit the website, travelingculturati.com. Connect with me on social media and join the travel club. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. I've always been an advocate for purchasing travel insurance. However, a majority of travelers never get it. For many, a comprehensive travel insurance isn't at the top of their list. But since covid it is even more important to consider adding it to your traveler's checklist. I certainly would never book a trip without it. Here are the main reasons why a comprehensive travel insurance is important. The COVID-19 pandemic is not over. Some destinations are now requiring travel insurance and possibly one that covers COVID-19. And that list is getting very long. Even if a country doesn't require it, consider if you contract COVID-19, you'll have to extend your stay for quarantine and worse yet, you may be hospitalized. The need for flexibility in your travel plan is another reason. Anything can happen. With things so fluid today, consider cancel for any reason. It's more expensive, requires you to purchase it within 14 days of booking your trip, and will cover up to 75% of the cost of your trip, depending on which brand you choose. There are other medical emergencies. In addition to hospitalization, travel insurance can add another layer of insurance for other unforeseeable sicknesses or injury. Something may happen to a loved one who isn't traveling with you. And if you care for someone, if you have children, older parents or grandparents, spouses, and other immediate family members that you take care of, 
They may suffer from an illness or injury. And if you have to take care of them, the travel insurance is a great investment protection to have because their circumstances may require that you cancel your trip and take care of them. Travel insurance is that great option for covering the costs of unexpected occurrences that could otherwise drain your bank account. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. 2019 was the year of the return, a campaign for Ghana, which commemorated the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first recorded enslaved Africans in Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. The landmark campaign also celebrated the resilience of the African over the past 400 years and welcomed all people of African origin to return to Africa, especially Ghana. Well, this is 2021 two years after the year of return. So we're looking at Ghana and its new campaign of Beyond the Return. Ghana is a country with a rich culture, beautiful landscape, and many things to do and see. Joining me today is Mawuli Zebu from Land Tours. Hello, Mawuli, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Javon. It's so good to talk to you again and to all our audience. Well, thank you so much again for joining me. You know, it was a landmark campaign in 2019 from Ghana, the year of the return, and it garnered a lot of attention. And it's very notable that not only did it garner a lot of attention for the 400 years of the enslaved, but it also brought a lot of attention just to Ghana because Ghana is such a wonderful destination, such a well-rounded destination. And it has so many things that I think a lot of people don't associate with Ghana. And once you go, you're just really blown away with its beauty, its culture, its landscape, and all of the things to do. So I want to talk about beyond the return. Let's just start with the basics first, because part of Ghana's beauty and the landscape is the location. So let's talk about the location of Ghana. Thank you again, Siobhan. So Ghana is located in the western part of Africa. So surrounded by Togo to the east, Ivory Coast to the west, and to the north is Burkina Faso. So of course, the Atlantic Ocean is to the south. You can easily find Ghana in West Africa. English-speaking country that speaks English everywhere. And of course, there are about 70 local languages that are spoken. Ghana's population is about 30 million people all over. And then the capital is Accra, Ghana. And that's where the international airport is located in Accra. You can get to Ghana from easily from the US, from New York. There's a direct flight from New York on Delta Airlines to Accra. Also, there's a direct flight from Washington, Dallas to Accra. Right now, they are running three times a week. That should go up to at least five times a week very shortly. Let's talk about Ghana's location again and its landscape because you have so much coastline, which is absolutely beautiful. So Ghana has approximately 400 kilometers of coastline from Axim all the way to Qatar. Very, very, very beautiful coastline. Now, one very, very important thing along the coast, because Ghana was played a very, very important role during the colonial times, during slavery, all the way to the industrial area. So along the coast, this beautiful coast from Axima all the way to Keta, 
during the height of the European trade in West Africa, they built over 40 forts and castles along the coast. Now, of course, most of those forts and castles are no more standing, but the ones that are standing, there are three of them right now that are UNESCO World Heritage Sites. They're all along the coast. So the Cape Coast Castle, then the Elmina Castle, and then the other castle in Takoradi. So the coastline, very beautiful. Most of the people around there are still fishermen from all the way from Axim to Keta. There's a Ghana's coastline. What about the beaches? So there are some beautiful beaches around, uh, especially the western part of the country. And it's really good for uh, things like surfing, scuba diving, and all of that. Especially between Cape Coast and the furthest part, which is Axim, all the way to Buzia. That's where the beach is more beautiful. And let me say that the tidal waves here are a little stronger. So you really need to be really good in swimming to swim along the Atlantic coast here. But it is beautiful. The beaches are beautiful from Qatar and Monoga to all the way to Adda, and then from Accra to Cape Coast to Buzia to Axim. Beautiful, clean, sandy beaches along the coast. So I guess with the surf, you probably are getting a lot of surfers in those areas. Yes. In fact, in 2019, especially the beach of Buzia and Axim was a very popular destination for surfing. So we get a lot of that. They are still coming back slowly. Now that the international bodies has been, uh, the airlines are coming in, there, people are still coming to surf. But in 2019, just before COVID, it was a very, very popular destination for surfing. You also have some wonderful national parks and forests. And again, when you're talking about location, we're talking about beautiful landscape. That's something that really surprised me because it often isn't what's talked about when you talk about Ghana and the natural or the back to nature kind of programs that you have. Let's talk about some of those natural parks. You're absolutely right. I mean, the landscape is just beautiful. The national parks across the country. So one of the popular ones is the Kakum National Park. Now, this park is about 40 kilometers north of Cape Coast, which is where the Sleep Castle is. And when you get to the park, it's very doable. The incline to get to where the canopy bridge is, is very, very gentle. It's not a steep climb to do. Everybody can do it. You don't have to be in excellent shape to do that. So the most popular attraction there is a canopy bridge, which is seven in number. So the highest peak is about 40 feet from the forest floor. You get onto there and you'll be able to see the tree tops. So it's a, what we call the bridge starts from one to seven. When you start, you can't really come back. It's a one-way street. So you go and you make a loop from bridge one to seven, three to all the way to seven. And when you're on this canopy bridge, you see the whole rainforest. It's a beautiful sight. And it swings. It's part of that adventure is to make it swing from one side to the other, very, very safe. This has been, the park has been open for 24, 25 years now. No issues there. And then, of course, there are some animals in the park. They are, most of them are nocturnal, so you don't see them only when it's been at night. Other national parks in the country, the biggest one is what we have is the Mole National Park, which is up north, the northern part of the country. Some of the attractions there include one of the big fives. We have the forest elephants in there. We have a lot of white hogs, a lot of Deers, antelopes, monkeys, baboons. And there's a rhino series also in the park, not too far from the Black Volta, that's also located in National Park. Along to the eastern part of the country, that's where we have the waterfalls, like the Wili waterfalls. The highest peak in West Africa is also in Ghana, Mount Afajato, in the Volta region. There is a beautiful 
Tafi Tome Monkey Sanctuary, which is also about 20 minutes or so from there. So there's a variety of things to do if you are into adventure, into nature, the hike to go to the Willy Falls, where you cross the same river 11 times, you know, it's just peaceful. And you don't feel like you're too far away, but there's something else very close to something else in the park in terms of the landscape. It is worth seeing and definitely worth the trip. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about getting to Ghana because it's quite easy and there are some direct flights that have resumed service getting to Ghana from the United States. That's right. So a Delta flights directly from New York, nine hours, you should be in Accra. I mean, depending on the tailwinds or what, going back is about 11 hours or so, and you should be in Accra. Now, United Airlines also flies from Washington, Dallas, directly to, to Accra. So within the same time frame, you'll be in Accra. If you want to go through Europe, that is options also available. British Airways flies through London. There is a Delta partners with KLM as well. So you can also go through Amsterdam. You can also even go through Air France, through Charles de Gaulle in Paris, and you will get to Accra. There's numerous options to get to Accra. If you want to go through Turkish Airlines, that's also available. But getting to Accra, it's pretty, pretty easy. If you want to fly directly, you could do that from New York or from Washington. Now, you mentioned also that English is widely spoken in Ghana. When you're looking at it from a perspective of navigating a destination, how easy or difficult is that going to be? One of the things is communication. So English is widely spoken there. Yes, English. I mean, we have a literacy level of a little over 70%. So a big chunk of the population speak English. So it's very, very easy to communicate with anybody right from the northern part of the country to the southern part of the country. Somebody speaks English. So that is definitely not an issue. And again, too, we have all these local languages, which is really everybody else understands it. So if somebody doesn't understand the English you're speaking, they could call somebody else who will be able to explain to you what do you want or how to get to that place or how to buy that product, you know, about it. Everything is written, all the signs are in English, so there's not a problem from the hotels to the restaurants to the attraction sites, taxi drivers, you know, Uber drivers, everybody speaks English. So communication is pretty, 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 pretty easy. It's very easy to get along, to be able to communicate, to get to know people. And Ghanaians are just very, very warm and hospitable. They will go every way to, to an arm's length to make you comfortable, to, to even teach you some of the local language, of course, whilst doing that in English. Communication is definitely not an issue. How many languages are there in the Ghanaian cultures? We speak over 70 languages in the country, from the north to the south. I speak four of them very, very fluently. And the most popular one is the tree language, spelled T-W-I, that's spoken by the Khan people or the Shantis that live in the middle part of the country. And it's the most widely spoken language in, in the country, apart from English, which is official language everywhere. And again, that's because we have so many ethnic groups in the country. So every ethnic group speaks different language. But the three language is spoken almost everywhere in the country. Everybody understands it. Along the coast, the Ghan people that live, especially in Accra, they speak the Ghan language. The Ashantis in the middle part speak the Sri language. The Airways, where I come from, the Volta region, eastern part of the country, they speak the Airways language. And then, of course, to the north, there is all, all the different local dialects there. But everybody understands and can communicate with each other. What would you say is the top cultural aspect of the Ghanaian people? We take our culture very seriously. And it's interesting because there's always things, something else to learn every day in our culture. But for instance, something that I definitely encourage everybody else when you come to 
Ghana to do is definitely go visit them, go to a village, get a naming, get a local Ghanaian name. Names here are very important in part of our culture. Every day of the week that you are born comes with a particular day name. So if you're born on a Monday, you know, you are male, you are called Kojo. If you are female, you are called Ajoa on Tuesday, male is Kwabana and Kriya all the way, all the way to Saturday, Sunday. If you're born on a Friday, a male is called Kofi and female is called Afua. So the day of the week that you're born in is very, very important. So a typical naming ceremony is happening in the village. You get your day name, and then you also get your circumstances that come up, surround your birth, you get a name, and of course, then your father's name. Naming ceremonies, as I say, takes place in the village or even in the cities, happens early morning before the sun rises because we want to make sure that it's done early, people can get to work and move on with their lives. But most importantly, the child has to be named before the sun rises because we believe that it's not too old enough to see the sun. And it's a joyous occasion. It's one of our very special moments to have a baby in the family, the community all comes together and they give you a name and they're giving you asked, you are attacked, the whole community starts to take care of this child and make sure he grows up in a in a good and responsible manner. So that's one of the highlights of our culture that I definitely expect that everybody that comes to Ghana will go to a village, get to meet the chief, have a naming ceremony, and you could have your own Ghanaian name with you as well. And I think that that's so wonderful that that's a part of your culture that you share with visitors. From the few times that I have been to Ghana and the people that I have met and spent time with, one of the things that sticks out with me is what I get from the Ghanaian culture is respect that seems to be very, very important within the culture. You're very right. And the respect part of it actually is something that you are taught, right? Even though you are just a seven-day-old infant, you're given a name. You are also taught to be respectful. The family prays for you. The family makes sure that right from that infancy, they are shown how to respect, what to respect, and be able to know that this is wrong, this is bad, this is evil, this is good. That's one of the reasons why when they do the naming ceremony, they always use water and alcohol. Alcohol represents bad, evil, and then water represents good stuff. And basically saying you need to know the difference between this and that. And that also is all part of the big learning teaching process of respecting all this, respecting what is right, respecting yourself, your community, and of course, your country. Absolutely. The respect is a very integral part of us. I mean, there's no way, even right now, you can go somewhere and have elders there and then just go get up and sit. You need to go greet elders. You don't just greet, you greet in the right way from the elder, the most elderly person to the youngest person before you even take a seat. So respect, you're right. It's absolutely important in our community. What are the five top things that you should do when coming to Ghana? The first one I definitely think you should do is definitely go to that village, go meet an elder, meet a community, you know, get to learn some local dance, get an African name, walk around a village, get to see how people live, people go about their daily activity, get to know the culture a little more rather from just sitting in a bus but going out of the village and again doing that. The second thing I need you to do is go to the slave castles along the coast. Go to the Cape Coast Castle, go to the Elmina Castle, go to the Slave River in Asimhan. So we trace the slave history where you understand all the things that our ancestors 
went through. You understand the role Africans played in the slave history. You understand where our ancestors were kept, you know, what they had to go through from right from the north to the slave river, to the door of no return, and then back to the door of return to the Americas. It's something that is always difficult for anybody to really explain to you until you put your foot in the female slave dungeons in a slave mm-hmm. castle or in a male slave dungeons or you walk through that door of no return the feeling the emotional things that come up whether you go through is something that it will be difficult for anybody to really describe for you you need to experience that yourself then you can understand why all of our sisters went through i mean i get emotional just talking about it do the slave castles retrace the slave history go to the slave river site of course Go to the parks, go to the Shire Hills parks, go to the Mole Game Park if you have enough time. And then another thing very, very worth doing is go to the middle part of the country, go to Kumasi, learn about the great Ashanti history, learn about the, the role that Ashantis played in, in slavery, in all the different wars they shot. All the Kumasi, uh, which is Ashanti capital, is, is the cultural capital of Ghana. You go to Look how the, the people they behave, even how they dress. You know, they how they take pride in what they do. And then the last one, you definitely have to do our food. You know, the music here, the live music scene here, the evening life. Yeah, go listen to some live music somewhere. Eat some of the local food. Get to learn some local dance. Learn to prepare a local dish. Definitely, these are the top five things that you have to do when it comes to Ghana. Now, what would you say surprises people the most about Ghana? I think that when I talk to people that are come and go, they are surprised about the warmth and hospitality of the Ghanaian people. You know, people are like, wow, I mean, I didn't know Ghanaians are so warm, friendly, hospitable, and willing to share. Nothing is staged. It's just that's the way we live. That's how we are. We are taught to be respectful. We are taught to share. We are taught to take care of strangers. We are taught to open our homes to people so that they can learn about us. So that is something that, a lot of people get, you know, they get surprised about the people, the, col- the culture, the warmth, the willingness to share our way of life to our brothers and sisters from the diaspora. That's something definitely that surprises people. And of course, all the abundance, landscape, natural resources, the beaches, the slave, the slave history, that always surprises people. Now, we said that in 2019, the campaign of Year of Return, And now as we are beyond 2019, we're looking at beyond the year of return, which you've talked so lovely about all of the wonderful things to do and to see. But what specifically is part of that campaign? So in 2020, after the year of return, there's so many people came to Ghana in 2019 that they came back and the feedback was like, we need to do this, not just a one-year event because we need to tell the story more. We need people to need to see beyond just the slavery part of the year of return. So in June 2020, the government and the private sector came together and they launched what they call Beyond the Return, which is a a 10-year initiative by the government and the people of Ghana to promote tourism and hope coming of Africans and Ghanaians and diaspora and to foster economic relations and investments from diaspora in Africa and, of course, in Ghana. There are seven pillars of the beyond the return. The first one is just come and experience Ghana. I mean, this is just for the first part. Come, come meet the people. Come and experience the warmth, the hostility, the beaches, the slave history, and just come for the experience part of it. The second one is there's an opportunity also to come and invest in Ghana from 
every part of the economy you want to, from agriculture to education to any industry, you know, all of that is available product. So that's the second pillar. And the third pillar is to make it a little more easier. They call it the diaspora pathways to Ghana, which evolves around getting, making visas easy, making a relocation, dual citizenship, all of that a little more easier for diasporans who want to relocate to Ghana. So that's the third part of the pillar. The fourth one is just basically celebrate Ghana. I mean, now you've come to see the Ghana, you've invested, you've experienced it, celebrate it, just tell everybody else about it, you know, go back and tell people about it. So that's the fourth pillar. The fifth pillar is brand Ghana, which is pretty much us being able to showcase our country to the world. The rest of the world is, it is all of the things available here from the south to the north, to the east, to the west, everything else that we can do. And then the sixth one is give back to Ghana. This is where we are asking people to come back and whatever they can do in terms of helping some kind of infrastructures on technology transfer, you know, all of that is available. That's giving back, also giving back in terms of uh, helping people that need help in terms of providing skill sets and all of that is also this part of it. And then finally, the last one is like more of like roots promotes Pan-African heritage and innovation. That's the seventh pillar beyond return. So this is a 10-year initiative with the seven pillars that we want to promote for the next 10 years. We were actually supposed to start in 2020, but because of COVID, of course, that has delayed a year. Next year, 2021, it took kickstart in full swing. Now you talked about the culture and there's something that I wanted to ask you or to make sure that we talk about because I think when you talked about the Kumasi, the Ashanti kingdom, we have to talk about kente because kente cloth comes from Ghana. It's known around the world and we are now seeing it in the fashion world and top brands. So tell us about kente. Where can we find kente and the importance of it in Ghana? So the kente cloth is a very, very, very important and unique cloth to Ghana. Anywhere else, anywhere else you find kente is an imitation. The original kente is from Ghana. Kente is hand-woven. You use a cotton stress to hand-weave it. It's, it's a process that it takes a long time to weave the kente cloth. Now, the kente cloth is used in the past. It was only used by only royals, only the Ashanti king and the immediate family of the Ashanti kingdom, the kings and the queen's courtyard. Those were the people that were only allowed to use kente. But of course, now it has evolved a lot more people. Everybody else can use kente. We use kente for very, very important occasions. So for instance, during the naming, a baby naming, dedication or ceremony, you see the mother and father proudly, proudly wearing their beautiful kente cloths to, to that ceremony. During marriage ceremonies, you know, that's where people wear their best kente cloths. You know, people don't bring out their kente cloths to their nieces and nephews are about to get married. They've kept that kente cloth for like 10, 15 years. You know, or you're going to get a brand new one. And you don't just wear, it's not something you wear every day. No, it's for that very, very special occasion, that joyous moment where that moment where you want to show off. That's how important kente is to us. Now, you can always only get kente mostly in the Ashanti region, in Kumasi. That's where it's moving. Very, very popular towns like Bonri, Adanawasi, where they wear kente. Of course, you get some kente, which is moving in Accra as well. But kente is exclusive and unique to Ghana. Very, very, very important part of our culture. 
and history. So we're talking about a West African dish that is prepared in several West African countries, Nigeria, Ghana, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Cameroon, and that is jollof rice. And there's always the question, who does it best? The jollof rice rivalry, you probably need another two hours just to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. Jollof rice rivalries all the way from uh, Gambia through Sri Leone to Nigeria to Ghana. All the French countries are even claiming it. So it's one of our very, very national dishes, very, very much enjoyed by almost every part, every Ghanaian rice cook in tomato sauce. That's pretty much a simple description of it. But I guess the Nigerians, of course, they are more than us, so they claim they do their best jollof rice. But we know we've we've beaten them hands down in every competition when it comes to jollof rice. So I can tell you on authority that, and this is not being biased, on authority that the best jollof rice is definitely from Ghana. (laughs) That's a meal that when you all come, you have to have jollof rice. I'm going to promise you that on the second day on the menu, there will be jollof rice on the menu. Omali Wooly, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. And we're looking forward to our return to Ghana January 21st through the 29th and doing many of the cultural experiences that Mawuli explained to us today and more. We have a lot in store. So go on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com and look at our program. I'm so excited to come back in January and looking forward to all of those experiences. So again, thank you so much for joining me today. When I come back, we'll have more on our culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Go ahead and check it out. And while you're there, follow us on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. One defining aspect of our culture is our favorite local pastime. The thing we love to do in our hometown and all the experiences and flavors that come with it. Chatting with me today is Tia Clark, a Charleston, South Carolina native and food and beverage veteran who started casual crabbing with Tia in 2017. She now hosts an Airbnb experience titled Let's Go Crabbing, and it's been recognized as one of Airbnb's best in the world. Well, hello, Tia, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Javon. Thanks for having me. Well, I got so excited when I came across your story because two things. I love Charleston and crabbing was something that I did as a child with my parents. I'm from originally Washington, D.C., so we would go out to the Chesapeake Bay area and do some crabbing there. So for those two reasons, I really gravitated and your story resonated with me. So tell me about growing up in Charleston. Charleston, South Carolina is my hometown. I love it. I grew up in downtown Charleston. A lot of people say I'm like a dying breed because a lot of people in Charleston right now, they're not from Charleston. You know, you you won't find many people like me anymore. 
I grew up in downtown. I went to elementary, middle, and high school, James Simmons, Rivers, and Burke, all in downtown Charleston. I spent almost all of my entire career since I've been working in food and beverage. Since I was about 16 years old, I've been working food and beverage jobs. And I did that all the way until I went crabbing for the first time at 37 years old. I actually just hosted an experience today and I talk about this so often and it just baffles me that I could live in Charleston and you visited Charleston. So, you know, it's such a beautiful place and it's right on the water. And I managed to live very close to it and not have any relationship with the water for my whole life. But I love Charleston for what it was for me. You know, my family is from Charleston. Like, that's what I'm saying about like being a, a native. Most people say they're here, but that just means they moved here 20 years ago. My family is born and raised from downtown Charleston off of Henrietta Street, which is the same street that Septima Clark was raised on. And there's a lot of history and culture there. And my family grew up on Henrietta and my great grandfather built a house and my great grandmother had 16 kids. And just two of those kids had over 20 kids. So I have a very large family in Charleston. Wow. So I always tell people any part of Charleston you get into or the surrounding areas, I'm related to someone there. So I grew up eating crabs and I grew up just being raised in downtown Charleston. And then I spent most of my life in bars, working, restaurants, and I smoked cigarettes for a long time. And I quit (laughs) smoking and thought, you know, everybody always thinks I'm going to do something good for myself. And I quit smoking cigarettes. And then instantly I regretted it because my health just was it just was a decline. And that's kind of what led me to crabbing. So for some who may not know, what is crabbing? Because when I say that sometimes to people, they kind of look at me and some don't want to ask the question, but you can tell they're looking like, what What are you talking about? Well, people crab different ways. There are different species of crabs and you can catch them in different ways. The good thing about crabs is most of them are delicious. And so that's what crabbing is. You take crabs are bottom feeders. People started crabbing with chicken necks. That's how people started crabbing. And the only reason they did that is because people didn't feed crabs what they were feeding their family. You know, the crab wasn't greater than their kids. So the crab was going to get the neck and not the drumstick or the thigh or something. I give them the drumstick and the thighs now, but that's a different story. We did the necks. <laughs> you did. The, everybody did. It's the cheapest. It was the cheapest part. Crabs are bottom feeders. And so because it started with necks, that's what people do. They take chicken and they put it on strings or in baskets. And they put it in the water and the crab will come along and they start eating it. And then you just capture it in there. That's an easy way of doing it. People always ask me what my personal favorite way of crabbing is. And that would be the hardest way to crab, which is the old school hand lining way where you have to actually be intimate with this crab and actually walk it about four or five feet up (laughs) from the floor. Very sneaky and being able to scoop it up like that, I like, you know, anybody can put something that a crab wants in the water and then it comes in and you trap it. But can you really out trick a crab? Can you make it know that you're not there? It's really hard to do because I can tell you that that was something my father would have us do. And I think he just kind of got a kick out of it uh, (laughs) (laughs) that we would go in and you go into the shallow area and throw out the chicken neck tied around a rope and just kind of lure it in a little bit. But oftentimes they get away because they see you. And like you said, it's very hard to be elusive and not to scare them away. 
I'm like, I am controlling my breathing. I am hardly moving. I'm like, this is a dance, you know? Like I imagine like somebody's like composing something, like they're waving their hands in the background and I'm trying to talk to this crab and, and get it up there. And that's really fun for me, you know? You're up close with your food. You know, I ate so much crabs before I went crabbing. It was insane. And that's very important what you just said, getting up close and personal with your food. One thing is that I love to cook. So I do get up close and personal with my food. But a lot of people who don't cook or who live in very urban areas and only go to the grocery store, they don't have that relationship with food and knowing its source or being connected to its source. Last week, I did a show on falling in love with fall. And I think the reason we fall in love with fall is because it does put us back in nature as we're kind of disconnecting ourselves from it and living in these urban surroundings. So what began that love of crabbing? What made you go to the water? Well, I would love to say that something great happened and I decided I was going to go to the water. But really, it was a story of turmoil where my health was declining and I seriously wanted to die. One of the last things I said to my wife was, I'm about to call it because I was just this was six weeks into the hives, the Bernie, like I quit smoking cigarettes in September 2016, November 2016. I had hives all over my body. They would not go away. If I got some short relief from it, but it would immediately come back and it was just painful and it was just really, really miserable. And it really felt like there was a fire going on in my body and it was just so everything was just kind of like inflamed and hot and it was just awful. And so I went to the hospital and the hospital couldn't help me after like a week of just giving me steroids. And then they sent me to national allergy. And I worked with national allergy for over a month and none of the stuff that they suggested worked. And after that, a woman there suggested I go talk to a holistic PA. And I did that. And this woman decided to put me on an elimination diet. And in a matter of five months, I think I had already lost like 50 pounds. My health, I started losing weight, the hive stopped, the pain stopped all within like the first week of this elimination diet. And then finally, the Solistic PA said, I want you to get active. And I didn't know what to do. And I ran into an old family member and he suggested that I come crabbing with him. And he took me crabbing one time. And in one afternoon, I felt like somebody had grabbed me by my ankles and flipped me upside down and was shaking me (laughs) very, very hard because I live in Charleston. This is my hometown. And what happened that day next to the water made me feel like I had no idea where I was. I really felt like I was lost. I was like, is the sky even blue? I was dumbfounded that I was having the experience I was having in Charleston. And then that day I was thinking, how in the world have I never had this experience here before? Like, this is crazy. And so I called my mom when I got done. I fed my family. And then I started crabbing every single day, every day. Not as a business, though, just as my health journey. And I would post every day to social media. I would get off the bar when I wasn't feeling good at two in the morning and I would go home and just eat Benadryl to knock myself unconscious until I had to work the next day. Some days I would get up and eat. Some days I didn't, depending on how I felt. And when I started feeling really good (laughs) and going crabbing every morning, like that changed everything. My days then began I get off at two, I go home, I set an alarm, I grab my cast net, I go watch the sunrise and I throw my cast net every day. 
And so I would just like take the picture of like the cloud or something. And friend that I had, my fishing buddy took a picture that I had and he created a Facebook page called Casual Crapping with Tia. I did not create the page. I didn't come up with the name. My friend did and he did it as a joke. And instantly people were messaging me and they were asking me if I would take them crabbing. And I worked food and beverage for 20 years. What I thought was that people suck. <laughs> so it's a crazy thing to say, but 20 years of food and beverage kind of eating me alive. I was kind of soiled on the human race. I just said no to everyone for almost a year. Everybody that asked to come, I shut them down. And that was because I'd never experienced anything like what was happening to me. And I didn't want some stranger to come and ruin it. So I came into like protect mode over this thing. And so I said no for a year. Then I said yes, but not for the business, just to do it, to see what it was like. And I did it. And then not long after the first time I did that, someone sent me a link to maybe try Airbnb experiences out. And I thought there was no way I wanted to do it because I didn't know anything about Airbnb. I'd never stayed in one. I hadn't taken an experience. And so I was like, I don't know what this is. No chance I'm doing this. More so, I think it was, I don't even want to let the strangers that are here in town come crabbing with me. So why would I let <laughs> other strangers come? That's more kind of what it was. But my wife, my awesome wife said, you should try it. And she actually typed it all up and submitted it. And they accepted it right away onto the platform. And then I was hosting my first experience in July of 2018. Now, crabbing with Tia, and I take so much pride in this, is my baby that I am giving an in-your-face, really authentic, unique Charleston experience. I love that when people show up to the dock with me, the first thing they say is, we knew we were coming crabbing, but we didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite thing. I feel like you booked this experience. We're already friends. Instantly, we're already besties by the time you get on that dock. So how do we book a casual crabbing with Tia experience? Yeah, so you can book casual crabbing with Tia at casualcrabbingwithtia.com or on Airbnb's experience platform. It's called Let's Go Crabbing. I'm booking a casual crabbing with Tia experience. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, same here. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.